Hello friends, it's good to be with you again and uh, welcome back into our house. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things that have stood out to me, probably stood out to you as the whole world has come to a standstill in this whole COVID season. And maybe there's been some life lessons or things that you've learned along the way. Maybe there's been some things that you're gleaning or some reprioritizing of adjusting things in your life. Certainly things have been shaken up for, for some of you and, and for a lot of us. And for some, it's been really, really challenging. And I, I'm sorry for that. I know that's challenging. I can't imagine what all that means. For some of us, this is maybe just a season of of deeper soul searching, uh, of trying to figure out what matters. And I have found myself praying for you, and we as a team have been praying for you and maybe for ourselves as well, that that this would be a season uh, of a reset moment in life. And well, what do I mean by reset moment? Well, reset moment, uh, think of and this will be different for whatever generation you represent, but uh, how many of you remember the Atari 2600? Yeah, I remember that. Uh, how about Nintendo or Game Boy or Xbox, PlayStation, uh, maybe Nintendo Switch? Now, depending on what generation you're in, you're raising your hand to different numbers of those. I remember the Atari 2600 when we first got it, and I was a kid. My best friend Andy came over, and we spent intense hours flipping one million points and asteroids, and it was amazing. Maybe you remember Pac-Man, you were a fan of that, or Donkey Kong, or Mario Brothers. Maybe you were into Halo, or Call of Duty, or FIFA, or Madden. Maybe it's Fortnite now, but, you know, gaming's been a part of our life for the last 40 plus years or so, and, and one of the best features on the Atari console was on the far right top, there was a button called the reset button, and whether you were losing in the game and you just wanted to reset because you didn't want it to count against you in the grand total of things, or it froze up. Uh, you would just flip that reset button and everything would change. You know, we know that with computers today, you get the blue screen of death or the spinning pinwheel and you got to turn it off. Maybe with your Wi-Fi router, sometimes you got to hit the reset button. And in essence, we've been praying for you and for ourselves that this would be a, a season, a reset button, uh, a reset moment, if you will in our season of life, that the ability to truly evaluate, okay, how am I doing um, personally, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that we'd be able to, to make changes and, and declutter and kind of kick the excess and the unnecessary to the side and that we'd reset to who matters most and what matters most. And so we've been praying that for you. And the reality is you have the power to hit a reset button uh, in, in a lot of decisions of life. And so do I. The beautiful part is that we have an amazing Savior who in his grace and through his power provides a reset button for us in so many ways and ways beyond what we can do on our own. And that's what I want to talk about today as we continue our John series, Believe, and looking into what the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 21. We'll get there in a moment. Remember, we're kind of looking at Peter's story a little bit. And we said last week, hey, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. And sometimes we're just like Peter and we get it right. And sometimes we're just like Peter, and we most definitely 
get it wrong. And when we fail, not if, but when, when we blow it, when we fall short, what then? What's God's response when that occurs? And we begin to see Jesus responds to Peter and he responds to us in a way of grace. And we said, you know, Jesus, you're the MVP of this whole grace thing. We're still pretty amateur at it. And so we asked and challenged each other to pray, Lord, grow me in grace. That that's a great prayer to have for your whole life. And we begin to see it impact and change Peter's story. And, and we reminded of the truth that we said last week that you can't work your way into God's grace and you can't behave your way out of it. And that's what Peter discovers on the other side of the resurrection. And so we're going to look back into his story. It's kind of part two of that. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to catch up uh, with that online. But we pick up in this reset, spiritual reset moment of Peter and Jesus. And uh, I think in order to understand, you, you truly have to kind of keep John 21 and what we're going to look at today. And you got to keep John 18 in the back of your mind in, in Peter's relationship with Jesus because it was one he was one of his most intimate and connected and, and solid friendships that went through a betrayal and that and Peter had gone public in his commitment, even saying, Jesus, hey, if, if it comes down to it, I'll be the last one standing with you. And Jesus in his ministry had said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be the leader. You're going to be the foundation that I build upon it. Someone that would make a difference in the kingdom for a long, long time. In fact, Jesus had actually changed his name. His name when we first meet Peter was actually Simon, son of John. And one day Jesus changes his name to Peter, which meant the rock. See, Peter was the rock long before Dwayne the Rock Johnson was the rock. I, I don't know if he had tattoos, but Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm going to build on you. But in a single night, even after Jesus had warned him, and told him what was going to happen. He denied knowing Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. And the rooster crows, and all of his words come back to him. All the bravado of Peter, all the posturing, and all the spiritual confidence that he lived with. And suddenly, he's not looking very rock-like, and he's devastated. I don't know if we can really fully imagine the depth of heartache and guilt and fear that Peter probably felt in that moment. I don't know if you've ever done something that you told yourself you were never going to do and that you knew you shouldn't have done it and that you even vowed, I'm never going to do that. And then you do it and it's one of the sickest feelings that humanity can feel when, when we disappoint not just ourselves but so many of the people around us. And in his mind, he had probably dropped so far off of God's dream team no one could drop further, probably, was what he was thinking. So what did Peter do? Well, he did what you and I probably would have done. He threw in the towel. He gave up, and and he was at a place where, you know, surely Jesus would be through with me, and so I guess I'm going to have to be through with him. You ever had a moment like that? Or you felt that. Maybe I've disappointed too much. And so Peter had gone back fishing because that's what he knew. In fact, that was his father's trade before Jesus ever entered the picture. That's where Jesus found him originally. So he went fishing. That's what he knew how to do. Sure, he had seen the empty tomb. And 
I'm sure that startled. He had seen Jesus. Jesus appeared in, with his disciples, but there hadn't been much marching orders given as of yet. Pentecost hadn't happened, and the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them. And, and, and let's be honest, uh, a dead guy hadn't got back up before. And so you're kind of in unknown, uncharted territory of what to do. And so what he knew to do was what he grew up doing. And so he went fishing, and a bunch of buddies went with him. And so many of the disciples are back at the Sea of Galilee. And then we find this encounter in John chapter 21. And so I want to read verse 1 and then verses kind of 4 through 13. So a larger chunk here, but I want you to listen to the story of how John's telling this encounter and what happens. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It was early in the morning, and Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He came out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He shouted back, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then suddenly the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer cloak and garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards or so. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there with fish already on it, and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. But even with so many, the net hadn't torn. And then Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. He took the bread. He gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. In fact, it's interesting about this account is it's almost identical to the very first time that Peter meets Jesus. You can read it on your own in Luke chapter 5. This idea of fishing all night, having nothing, kind of being at a loss. And then some stranger from the shore says, well, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Just flip from the left to the right or the right to the left. And, and suddenly the net is filled like beyond anything they've ever seen in their normal fishing habits. And they're shocked. And Peter is reminiscing, I think. Peter's fishing, he hadn't caught anything, and suddenly the light bulb comes on, and, and he knows it's the Lord, it's Jesus. It was this Jesus saying that there's a new beginning possible, that Jesus had already reached out and touched his life once. Would Jesus want to do something again with him now? Could it be? that there was a possible new start. He, he comes ashore, he's soaking wet, and he comes up and he's near a charcoal fire. What's fascinating is charcoal fire is only listed two times in the whole New Testament. One time here in John chapter 21, when Jesus is getting ready to reset Peter, and once in John 18, when Peter stood by the fire and denied his Lord. Only two times. And it's like Jesus is taking this scene, that smell. They tell us our, our sense of smell is the most prominent. He would have smelled that fire and remembered that moment. And Jesus is resetting 
Peter in this moment. It's fascinating what goes on, starting in verse 15. You can read, uh, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, uh, he goes, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. And then Jesus said to him, Peter, follow me. It's a fascinating conversation. I mean, first, you notice that he doesn't address him as Peter right away. It's Simon, son of John. It's formal. It's serious. And the question he asked Peter, you know what he didn't ask him? What were you thinking? He didn't say, are you sorry for what you've done? Do you promise never to do that again? That wasn't the first question he asked. It wasn't the question that was on the, the, the tip of his tongue or at the core of his heart. His question is, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? I don't know if that surprises you, that the question that Jesus asked after we fail is, do you love me? Not, why'd you do that, and, and accusations. It's always about this in love. It's relational. He's wanting to restore this. Uh, a New Testament scholar, Murray Harris, writes this. First things first, when we sin, it's our betrayal. It's our disowning. Jesus didn't call Peter because the question was whether Simon wanted to actually be Peter. Did he want to be the rock for Jesus? See, when we sin, we're the ones who turn away, not Jesus. And so Jesus is asking Peter, do you want to be in relationship with me? God longs to forgive. He longs to restore. He longs to, to bring closeness in us. But God's a gentleman. And he doesn't force himself to be where he's not wanted. So Peter, do you love me? Do you want this relationship? Jesus asked Peter the same question. Not once, not twice, but three times. Why? Peter had denied him three times. And the spiritual reset is happening before our eyes. Peter, do you love me? See, sincere, dedicated followers of Jesus will sometimes fail the Lord. You know, we know that because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. And so he said, in essence, Peter responding, Jesus, you, you know what I did. You know everything about me. You know my heart. You know I love you. And I blew it but you know my heart is for you. Each time Jesus is saying the same thing, and in essence he's saying, then get back in the game. Then don't sit on the sideline. Don't let your sin be the final word. Do not run from me and do not run from your calling. Do not run back to an old life. You keep, and then he says, you follow me, which is the exact same phrase, the exact same calling he did at the very beginning for Peter. And he says, follow me. And the reset button is pushed. And Jesus says, Peter, get back in those games. Get back into what I've called you to do. And suddenly this charcoal fire that meant so much of the disappointment and, and the betrayal and the failure moment is reset to now be a reminder 
that we serve the God of the reset, that Jesus is the one who delivers reset moments for us, and that forgiveness isn't just for Peter. It's for you, and it's for me. And it could be the button that gets pushed in the moment that comes that when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was saying, I, pay, I paid the price for every sin, for every failure, for every mistake, for every screw up. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And he is a savior that saves us and continues to save us. He came to offer us a new life and a new start and a reset as we need it. And that doesn't mean we ignore the lessons that we should learn from our moments of dabbling in sin or, or that sometimes the consequences of our sin doesn't linger and have an effect on us or that our sins are something that God even takes lightly. He doesn't. It costs Jesus everything. But there's a reset opportunity that happens. Sin doesn't have to end your life. And because of the grace of Jesus, it doesn't have to have the final word. And it's not the final verdict over you or over me. And because of what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection, you can now come before a living and loving God and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Let's start over. And he will. And not only that, he says, let's hit the reset. Now you follow me. Get back in the game. Let's keep moving forward. You may have wondered at times that, hey, can I ever push the patience of God to the limit and never get another chance? Uh, or maybe you feel like you've taken him up on his second chances one too many times, that there's a limit somehow, that you may be scared to death that you've committed a sin or a series of sin that's too great to forgive. Peter probably felt that same way in that moment. And then what he feared the most, standing face to face with Jesus, he discovered something so radical that he hardly knew how to respond. He learned that God is a God of forgiveness, that he's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fifth chance and the 25th chance and the 1,000th chance, that he's the God of new beginnings. No matter how many times that we've read it, he's the God of the reset. And it's a gift to us. It's the beauty of what transpires. Some people will look at the, the Greek language here in this interchange between Jesus and Peter, and Jesus starts off with, Peter, do you, do you agape love me? See, remember Greek has four or five different words for the word love. We only have one, but agape is this deep sacrificial, it's the ultimate kind of love. And Peter responds, well, I phileo you, like I brotherly love you like it's not quite to the agape, but I'm here. And, and some scholars will argue, well, was there a difference in what Jesus said? And the third time Jesus asked, he actually used phileo as well. And so is he coming down to Peter's level? I don't know if that's the whole point. I think the point was the fact that, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Jesus is defining love as an action, not just a a warm feeling or, or, or this emotional thing. It's, it's this feeling when you read about um, love, in, in, especially in the Gospel of John, when you realize that agape is used 38 times in the Gospel of John. But 31 of those 38 times, it's found in chapters 13 through 21, like the middle to the end. And John's trying to drive home a point that Jesus 
over and over and over again from kind of the middle of his journey with his disciples to the very end of the cross and resurrection is driving home that love isn't just this feeling thing. It's an action. Love is a verb. And it means it takes action. That love is a form of obedience. John 14, 15 says this. Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commands. Meaning, put some action and effort into your love. Not to earn my love, because it's not something you can work your way into or even behave your way out of it. It's a gift to you. But let your love have action to it. Peter gets a spiritual reset. And so do we. That's the beautiful part of this. You can't work your way into God's grace. You can't behave your way out of it. God's grace is a gift to us. And God is more interested in where you're going than where you've been. Jesus is getting Peter back in the game. And he's saying, Peter, I have so much more for you. I have so much more. And this kingdom thing isn't just about you. It isn't just about you. It's about how I can leverage your life for to reach way beyond what you ever dreamed or imagined. And so get back in the game. Here's your reset. Let's go. You follow me. And we're invited to do the same. Do you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus that we see here in this encounter with Peter, this failure moment that we all have, and yet this reset moment that we get to have because of your grace. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in our grace, grace for ourselves, grace for others. We want to be more and more like Jesus. And in that grace, would you empower us to hit reset by your Holy Spirit, that when we do fail, that we get back up, we get back in the game, and we keep moving, we keep following after you because you've made it possible to not get stuck and not get sidelined. And we don't have to sit um, out of the game. We can actually be in it with you. And so would you do restoring work where restoring work needs to do? Would you do a healing work where healing work needs to happen? But Father, would you empower us to keep moving forward and to always follow you? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.